Will Levis is that dude. The Titans have an improbable, shocking come-from-behind win on Monday Night Football to take it over the Dolphins 28-27. We're going to break it all down now. This is the Music City Audible. Let's get to it. Last one, your quarterback, Will Levis, is a rookie, but what did you see in him, and especially in that fourth quarter, as he's leading you guys for the comeback? I saw a dog. I saw a dog out here today. That, that kid is going to be great, man. I'm always in his ear trying to help him, uh, you know, read defenses and, and be better. Uh, I know he's still got a lot in his tank. I know he can improve, even though, you know, he came out here and beat, beat these guys today. But I'm going to still be on the Monday when we go back and uh, let him know that there are certain things that he can improve on. But, man, we'll show heart. Uh, man, I, I, love, I love competing and playing with him. I love competing and playing with him. That kid's going to be great, said DeAndre Hopkins to Cameron Wolf there after the game on the field. What a win for the Titans. And Justin, let's just start right here because a lot of people going into this game were saying this is going to be a blowout. The Titans are never going to be able to stop the Dolphins offense. They're going to lose by 20 points. They were 13 and a half point underdogs. I think it actually closed at 14 point underdogs plus 650 on the money line when it closed. This Titans win was the biggest upset of the 2023 season, Justin. And a lot of people are reacting like, well, the draft position, the draft pick, the Titans shouldn't have won this game. What are they doing? But man, when you have a chance for your rookie quarterback to lead this kind of comeback, that is better for his future, for the future of the team than any, you know, five way, four way positioning in the draft order could ever be. Absolutely. I mean, this was electric. And look, I'm guilty of it. I'll put my hand up. Uh, I had the Dolphins winning this game by a landslide. Me too. Right? I think both of I mean, most people thought that's the way yeah. it was going to go, right? They're a much better team. And then you you factor in no Jeffrey Simmons. You factor in no whatever you think of Christian Fulton. But you factor in the offensive line situation. Like, wasn't a good situation. Not a good matchup. Even, even without Tyreek Hill, it shouldn't be a good matchup, right? I mean, the Dolphins shouldn't be that reliant on Tyreek Hill, right, to beat the 4-8 uh, and eight Tennessee Titans team. So uh, I'm with you, man. That was electric. That was incredible. Look, I went into that game. I went out to watch it with a bunch of friends, a couple of them Titans fans, a couple of them Dolphins fans, um, funny enough. And I said when I walked into the bar, I'll be honest, I said, hey, we're playing for draft position here. You know, a loss wouldn't be the worst thing. And I said at the beginning of the night, especially if the Giants can, can manage to beat the Packers, you know, that, yep. that would be great. And that ends up happening, of course, on the other side. And Titans would have moved up, I believe, to number five overall if they lost this game. But you know what? I don't care. I don't care. I mean, what are you a fan for if you can't enjoy a moment like that? I mean, that was historic. What are we talking about? Teams were, what, 767 and 0? up 14 points, uh, you know, essentially that late into the fourth quarter. Like at one point, I mean, the Titans were still down 14 with, I believe, 255 left. They got the ball back with 434, but with, as officially with 255 left, that was still a 14-point game. Their chances of winning, according to next-gen stats, at that point was 0.383%. That is the oh second least likeliest win in the next-gen stats era. Right. So since they've started tracking that the second least likely, there was one that barely edged it out. I think it was last year, Jets over Browns in week two. And I don't remember that game at all. I'll be honest. But I mean, this was incredible. I mean, Will, well, he was just unbelievable on those final two drives. And we got to talk about it. We got to talk about some of the mistakes made earlier in the game. Uh, and, you know, I, I have been and so are you. We've been big draft position guys. We have been yeah. right. Look. Let's not ignore the elephant in the room. If they lose that game, they're at they've moved up to number five 
you're in that spot now that guarantees you either Marvin Harrison Jr., Joe Alt, or Olu Fashanin. Let's let's call a spade a spade. You're essentially guaranteed one of those three guys who are probably your top three targets. But A, there's a lot of football left, so you're not locked in yeah. to number five by any stretch of the imagination. And and B, I don't care. I don't care. And I'm a draft position guy. That was electric. That was unbelievable. If you couldn't have enjoyed that, I don't understand what you got into sports fandom for, right? That's the moments <laughs> that we live for. Um, I don't think we'll look back on it and say, oh, what a meaningless win that was. No, uh, I wrote about it earlier this morning. And I think my favorite quote, I'm patting myself on the back here, but I had said, you know, these were the type of victories in all honesty where legends are born. And it really is a team legend. And don't underestimate how important that is, not only for Will Levis's confidence and poise, I think he's a confident guy already, but for his teammates to know to have a living, breathing example, they could touch, feel, see, hear, whatever you want, to know that he can lead them to a win no matter how bad the circumstances are, right? A come-from-behind victory. And a lot of these guys are still going to be here, right? It's not like they're flipping this whole roster. That saw that happen. Tajay Spears now knows that. Peter Skoronsky now knows that. Jalen Duncan now knows that. Whether he's a starter or a swing guy, all these guys, they now know that. DeAndre Hopkins sees it. He knows that. You heard the quote at the top of this show. Um, it's just incredible. I, I can't say enough good things. And we'll, we'll get more into the meat of it, some of the completions, what, what the official stat line was, but that was electric. Yeah, we're going to break down this game. We're also obviously going to talk about the draft order, as you mentioned there, and what you know where the Titans can go, who to root for, and how they can move up or down in that positioning as the season finishes up here with four games left. But the Titans are in a unique position now where they are competing for a playoff spot and at the same time in position for a potential top five pick, which is a wild place to be with just four games left in the season. So uh, on the playoff positioning thing, I know I've been the one tooting the, the playoffs are still alive horn for a month or so now, but I've also, you know, last week I said the playoff dream is dead. And I sort of said, I sort of pronounced that the end of the Titans competitive season here we are now, four games to go. The Titans are only two games back of a wild card spot, and they're only three games back of the division. Now, there's only four games remaining, so they need a lot of things to go their way, a lot of teams ahead of them to lose in order to even have a chance. And I think their playoff probability percentages is in like the 1% range right now. Like it's still very unlikely. But if this team can win out, which is not impossible to say, they have three division games and a game with the Seahawks, who may or may not have Geno Smith. Like they're. Look, it's not that unlikely. I mean, it's unlikely that all the other teams they need to lose, lose. But as far as winning these last four games, going on a run here and sneaking their way into the playoffs, like I said it was dead last week. It's not dead. It's on life support maybe, but it's not dead. <laughs> there is a chance that this team could still make the playoffs. And for all the, the bad that would do for the draft position and everything, like I just said about you know how much this win can do for this team and the confidence of this young quarterback – Making the playoffs with him when you're in a position right now where you were four and eight, you know, with five games to go, if they do end up in the playoffs and you get Will Levis some playoff experience, that's more valuable than picking in the top 10 to me. If you end up picking 20th overall instead of 10th, I think that you live with that and you just make it work and say the playoff experience is more valuable than anything else. Look, I, I, I'm still on the opposite side of this. I don't think they're going to make it. <laughs> now, look, Sunday against the Texans coming up. You know, if they don't have C.J. Stroud, you win that right. game. 
I'll, I'll start to have a little more belief because all of a sudden, you know, winning three in a row feels a bit more realistic than winning five in a row if you count the Dolphins game, right? And you consider the opponents, you know, you get the Texans again, the Seahawks might have backup quarterbacks in all these games or most of them, right? Trevor Lawrence is even banged up. So it's like, I'll start believing if they can string together another good performance here and beat the Texans in a week. I'll start believing it's possible. I love the analogy. Maybe it's not dead. It's on life support, certainly, but we haven't pulled the plug quite yet. Um, I, I'm with you on the playoff thing. I'll say this. The playoffs are a lot of fun. They are a lot of fun. Remember how much right. fun 2019 <laughs> was? Remember how much fun? I mean, 2020, 2021, they ended in heartbreak. But that feeling of being in the playoffs and having a chance to achieve something, that's a lot of fun. So I don't care the circumstances. I'll never pass on that, ever. Okay, because it's a lot of fun. You can't take that stuff for granted and just get in, right? I mean, I think about 2019, how unlikely was that run to the AFC Championship? And no, I don't think they're going to duplicate that. I realize that duplicating that is a lot more rare than it is common, right? So, but my point is they've done that before. Uh, look, at, and Mike Vrabel teams, right? They just beat the Dolphins who are in competition for the number one seed, right? Like a Mike right. Vrabel team just gets in, to the playoffs, and uh, maybe I'm crazy to say, may, no one would probably want to play them, right? Because they've got that underdog factor. They take on the the personality traits of their head coach. Um, I'm going to be petty for one second. No one, no one will that you know maybe knows will hear this, but <laughs> I had a very lengthy Twitter argument the other day about Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins' offense and how the Titans, but they you know they but they don't have Mike McDaniel and they don't have Arthur Smith and well they just beat Mike McDaniel on prime time down 14 with a couple minutes left. Mike McDaniel got very conservative at the end of that game. Further proof that he's not perfect. He's very good, but he's certainly not perfect. I think he made a lot of errors in this game in my opinion a ton of coaching errors right on third and goal third and two from two yard line you call a fade right like a low percentage toss-up play and then when it's incomplete you kick the field goal I don't know why you're trying to fade there if you're not going for it on fourth down and got another play call ready that was after three straight pass attempts too. that field goal attempt when they had been gashing the Titans on the ground they get down to the two yard line and start throwing the ball like crazy like and then you get super conservative at the end there. You got a chance to run out the clock. You go run, run, pass, right? Like it's he made a lot of mistakes in this game, Mike McDaniel. He's not perfect. No one is. Mike Vrabel's a very good head coach. I'll live and die on that hill. Um, but this was exceptional, just exceptional. I mean, I, I can't say enough. Yeah, I, I do want to get into some of the Mike Vrabel talk here and some of the decisions he made that put this team in a position to win when it was at its most unlikeliest. We'll get into that. And we'll also I also want to talk about what the defense did in this game and how they were able to, you know, force the Dolphins offense. Dolphins offense scored those two touchdowns on offense. They all obviously had a pick six as well. Those two touchdowns coming off extremely short fields where they basically started in the red zone twice in a row. So not necessarily the defense's fault there for giving up a score. It's not like they give up a long drive. So I definitely want to talk about that. But we got to start with Will Levis and the unlikeliness of this victory. You mentioned the 767-0 thing. A lot of people are talking about this graphic that they flashed on the screen, Monday Night Football. Since 2016... Teams trailing by 14 or more points with three minutes or less to go were 0 and 767. That was since 2016. But more has come out since then, and this is per True Media Sports. Tennessee is the only team in this century to overcome a 14-point deficit or more in the final three minutes of the game. So that, that graphic that everyone's referencing said since 2016. Well, push it back 16 more years because they're the only team this century that's done it. Another incredible stat from this game Will Levis has the most passing yards by a rookie quarterback on Monday Night Football 
in the history of Monday Night Football. He's the only quarterback to ever throw for 300 yards or more as a rookie in a, in a Monday Night Football game. And he did it in his first Monday Night Football game. It was Will Levis' first road win of his career. It was the first road win of the season for the Titans, which is fairly incredible to say in Week 14. But all in all, a brilliant performance from Will Levis. So let's dive into that and start with that. He starts the game with one of the biggest mistakes you could possibly make. He throws a pick six at his own like five yard line on a screen play that is easy. Like the Dolphins player who intercepted it barely had to move to get into the end zone because he caught it at the five yard line essentially. And uh, that's how you start the game. So the Titans defense comes up with a huge fluky goal line stop. Uh, forcing a fumble, like the fumbled snap and then forcing the fumble again out, out of to his hands to recover the ball. But they might as well have not even done that because three plays later, the Dolphins are walking into the end zone from basically the same spot on the field because of that pick six. But then Will Levis responds and he leads this team to a touchdown drive. Derrick Henry gets in the end zone there, but... The one thing I wish the Titans offense would do is let Will Levis throw more in the red zone. I get it. Uh, Derrick Henry is a beast down there and, and he's your your most sure way to get in the end zone when you get close. But especially towards the end of the game on the second, you know, drive to go take the lead. I really wanted it just for Will Levis to have the touchdown. Not that it matters at all in the in the grand scheme of things, but just to have him get the touchdown pass would have been more fun. Minor quibble. He leads the drive there. They get a, a chance before halftime and the Titans go run, run with a holding penalty run on second and long run on third and long and punt the ball back. And you're like, what are the, what is this play calling? What are you even doing? Give your rookie quarterback a chance. Well, the defense gets a stop and he does get another chance and he leads an improbable field goal drive. It was almost identical to what happened the other in the game, a recent game where they did basically the same thing. They went run, run pass. That was the play to Tajay Spears where he got lit up. So that was a few weeks ago, but then he gets the ball back again with less than a minute to go and is able to lead that field goal drive. So he did the same thing in this game. And then, of course, the poise at the end of the game. Your punt returner muffs a punt on a play that he should have never even been trying to touch the ball on. I don't know what the heck that was about. We'll get into that in a second. And and then the next offensive play, the first play that you get the ball back after that muff punt, they try this weird fake handoff option pitch play thing that I don't know why they're even calling a weird play like this to begin with, but Will Levis a little off target with his pitch to Derrick Henry bounces off Henry's hands. Dolphins recover it again in the red zone. And at that point it's like, wow, the game is over pretty much. The announcers on the broadcast are saying the Titans have self-destructed. We got tweets flying off on the timeline with six minutes to go in the game about how, well, at least, you know, the Titans preserved their draft. They competed in this game and preserved their draft position. So it's all like, who cares in the grand scheme of things? We don't care if the Titans end up losing this game. And bang, from there, Will Levis is like, not so fast, my friends. Here he comes, leading these two game-winning drives. The poise, the toughness, running with the ball. We haven't seen him using his legs that much this year. But to, in this game, he was, you know, making stuff happen on the ground, getting out of sacks, trying to run through Jalen Ramsey, running through players uh, on the Dolphins' defense. I just think he showed so much in this performance. And obviously, the historical, you know, context of it, never you know, not being done this century, and all the things that go along with it. It's his first 300 yard game as a passer in the NFL. So there's another little notch for his belt in this game. And boy, was it exciting to, to watch those two drive. It felt like Titans' offense has never looked easier than it did on those two. Game like those two last two drives, those two two minute drill drives with 434 on the clock. They move, they march down the field. They scored twice in 
125 yards on the of, of offense in two minutes and 20 seconds with the game on the line against the team in their own house on primetime under the lights against a team competing for the one seed in the AFC. Like, this is a mind-blowing performance from Will Levis and the Titans. Yeah, I want to add a couple of things there. First of all, as soon as he threw the pick six, um, you know, I thought to myself, of course, I looked over at a friend and said, let's see how he responds, right? I think that was what everyone was thinking. And the response wasn't immediate, right? You, you kind of hope you come back out on the next drive and, and get an immediate response. It wasn't. They punted right. rather quickly. I think they ran six or seven plays. He got sacked on third down and they had one first down and he got sacked on a third down and, and they punted. Um, but then you get the drive before the half, like you said. Um, they overcame a holding penalty on that drive, right? I think Calvin Throckmorton was called for a hold, made it a, what was it, a first and 15 it was. And on that first that first and 15 play, I think is when he hits um, he hits Hopkins for a, a big gain, a gain of 45 yards down to the Miami 10, essentially giving them a chance at a touchdown before the half. They end up settling for a field goal. And then you get into those last two drives. I mean, the first one, that was a nine-play, 80-yard drive. He completed seven of nine passing attempts for all 80 yards. Now, a couple of those, of course, included dump-offs to Tajay Spears as the Dolphins went into soft coverage shells, essentially playing a prevent defense. But give credit to Tajay. He accounted for more than half of those receiving yards. He had 41 of the 80 receiving yards on that drive. And Levis completed passes to four different receivers on that drive, right? Spears had a bunch of them, as I said, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Chigakonkwo, and Nick Westbrook-Kine. So you want to talk about spreading the ball around a little bit. And then he hits DeAndre Hopkins for the three-yard touchdown. Did you notice, by the way, that was like, it was like a Patrick Mahomes patented no-look pass while he was on the move, escaping the pocket, extending the pocket, buying time. Uh, and then he hits NWI for the two-point conversion, right? So it was Which like, is crucial. Crucial two-point conversion because even going for it puts you in a position to potentially lose the game. Yeah, it also puts you in a position to win the game, which this is what I want to talk about when we get to Mike Vrabel. We'll, I think we'll do that in a second. But you miss that two-point conversion. You need another one to even tie the game after that. So that was a crucial play. And Nick Westbrook-Aquino was wide open. Will Levis stumbles on the move out of the pocket and is able to regain his balance and hit the wide open receiver. Great play call by Tim Kelly, right? Almost like a pick play, right? You're going to get those receivers crossing. The, the, the DBs got crossed up there in the secondary. Couldn't keep up with a wide open Nick Westbrook-Akine. Now, the, uh, the credit the defense, force a quick three and out. You get the ball back, 215 left, right? Well, what's now? It's a four-play scoring drive that covered 61 yards in 26 seconds, okay? And you're talking about immediate, right? A 36-yard gain to DeAndre Hopkins, streaking across the middle towards the sideline, gets out of bounds, follow that up with a 16-yard uh, screen swing pass to Chigakonkwo, picks up a ton of yards after the catch. You run Tajay Spears for six yards, you get the Miami penalty, Derrick Henry takes it in for the game winner. I mean, you want to talk about efficiency. Yeah, it ended with two runs, but how about that 36-yard pickup to start that drive and then a 16-yard gain? Again, credit to Chig. Um, for making a play after the catch as well. But all in all, those two game-winning drives, Will Levis goes 9 of 11 for 132 yards, a touchdown, and a two-point conversion. You want to talk about, again, what we said, poise, confidence, all of it. The kid's got ice in his veins. It was moxie. It was every, every good word you can think of. Um, it, was, it was just unbelievable. 
And, you know, the national buzz around the game here is all about Will Levis, too, because he was on display for everyone in primetime. Yes, there was another game going on. But by the time the Titans were leading this final drive, that game, I think, had already finished with the the game winning field goal for the Giants. So everyone had flipped over to this game. Will Levis finishes 23 of 38 for 327 yards and a touchdown. He did have two turnovers. He was credited with a fumble for the pitch that was that was dropped and recovered by Miami and he also obviously had the pick six on the screen play at the beginning of the game but what's most impressive to me about this win for the Titans and we have been talking about this on this podcast for years is when the run game is not functioning can the Titans offense still find any success and in this game the run game was not functioning Derrick Henry finished with 17 carries for 34 yards. Yeah, he scored two touchdowns, which were obviously huge. And and part of the uh, Titans' success in the red zone was Henry running the ball. Tajay Spears, a little bit more efficient with his seven carries for 29 yards. That's not super productive, but it's at least 4.1 yards per carry. Traylon Burks had like an end-around play thing that was one carry for five yards where it looked like he was looking to pass the ball, and then he just didn't see anything, so he decided to run it. Interesting play call. Titans were whipping out the gadget play calls. And I tweeted at one point, can the Titans just run a normal offense for once? Like it felt like the gadget play calls and and that stuff was a little too frequent for me, getting a little too cute a a few times, especially when they had good drives going. And then they run one of these like triple reverse type of plays that you're looking for some special magic to happen. It's like, I get when nothing's working going to that, but I felt like they didn't need so many trick plays in this, in this game, but they kept calling them anyway, whatever it is, what it is. Um, but for the passing game to function as well as it did when the running game did not function, DeAndre Hopkins finished with 124 yards on seven catches and and the touchdown that put them in position to go get the game winner. Tajay Spears, the receiver in this game, I think is maybe one of the biggest developments that will help this team of future success. Six catches for 89 yards, including a long of 30 that was absolutely dropped in the bucket by Will Levis. That was the play where Spears ended up fumbling. Luckily, the ball bounced out of bounds, but catches it over the shoulder down to like the five or six yard line to get, get really close to scoring position there. And then Chigakonkwo has sort of come alive over the last three weeks. He had five catches for 46 yards in this game. He has 150 receiving yards in the last three games. So welcome back to life, Chigakonkwo. And then the receivers, like the actual players who play receiver outside of DeAndre Hopkins, Nick Westbury-Akina, two for 28. Chris Moore, one for 22. Traylon Burks, one catch for one yard. I mean, these guys combined for 51 yards on four catches. The the receivers not named DeAndre Hopkins. And Will Levis still finishes with 327 yards. So working with a, a weak receiving core outside of D-Hop, working with a run game that's not functioning. And, you know, the Titans off play action have been so lethal, but you don't really have a chance to do that when you're down by 14 with four minutes to go. You just got to throw the ball and make it obvious passing situations. So the fact that he had success, despite all of these other factors working against him, Great job by Will Levis and also shout out to the offensive line because on those last two drives where they needed to go score and you know they're going to be throwing the ball, they protected him. That 36-yard play to DeAndre Hopkins that set up the second touchdown, I mean, he had all day to find Hopkins and that was a long developing route. You know, he's got to run all the way across the field there to get open and shout out to the offensive line for doing their job protecting him. They weren't great in the first three and a half quarters of this game, Will Levis did a lot of on his own getting out of pressure. They, I think they gave up, again, a close to 50% pressure rate in this game. I think it was like 46, 47% of Will Levis's dropbacks. He was under pressure, but they stepped up when they really needed to go down and score in those last two drives. So just all around shout out performance to, to Will Levis and his offensive line. 
Yeah, I mean, you talked about stuff that he's dealing with, uh, putting it in context. PFF, according to PFF charting, again, not the end-all, be-all. But this is a weekly theme. We see it every week. Uh, Levis saw pressure on 46.3% of his dropbacks. Now, I'll be honest, the eye test didn't feel like it was that bad. And I think adding context, like I need to explore and look at the film. Like Jalen, I thought Jalen Duncan played a, a seemed to play a pretty solid game, all things considered. I mean, that's Bradley Chubb, $100 million pass rusher uh, that he was essentially facing on a snap-by-snap basis. You had an injury at right guard, I think. I mean, Daniel Brunskill came out of that game for long stretches, and you played Calvin Throckmorton essentially for the first time, a guy you claimed off waivers a couple weeks ago. And you didn't get a very good game out of Dylan Radins at right tackle either, right? A bunch of pre-snap penalties. I think he had a holding penalty or two. Like, so I, I think all things considered, a, a, you know, a, a, a good performance against a, a talented D-line, especially Jalen Duncan, as I said, with, with the challenge that he had in front of him and Bradley Chubb. Um, but uh, according to the charting, they still struggled. And Will Levis, by the way, he averaged 10.5 yards per attempt, by the way, yeah. when pressured. I mean, that just the guy's just a dog, right? He just wants to throw the ball down the field all the time. He doesn't care if there's pressure in his face. I got a buddy of mine that's a Titans fan. I made him a Titans fan, funny enough. He's a good friend <laughs> of mine. It's about 10 years ago, he said, I really want to start watching football. 10, 15 years ago, as a sport that I think I would like. He was about, we were about 16 years old at the time. I said, feel free to come on over. I got Sunday ticket and he fell in. I, I tricked him because that first year um, that he started watching football was the 2008 year. So when Titans went 13 and three and had the first round by and lost to the Ravens, uh, the Chris Johnson injury game. Um, so he thought he was getting himself into something really good at first. Wow, I'm supporting a great team. But anyway, uh, <laughs> he looked over at me at one point, not as big of a fan as we are. He looked over at me and said, it's like he doesn't give a shit about pressure. Like, I'm kind of scared for him. Like, why doesn't he panic a bit more when there's pressure in his face? I thought that was a hilarious observation. Because he doesn't give a shit. He's a dog, right? He wants to throw the ball down the field no matter where pressure is. But, uh, I mean, I'm probably rambling. But I thought the PFF stat was a good one to note. 46.3% of his dropbacks still averaged 10.5 yards per attempt when pressure. That's an astounding number. Yeah, and I, I think what this really does for Will Levis and the team is it shows like you can put the ball in his hands and not be scared. Like that like I've been talking about the two minute drives before the end of the half. Like the one where they basically gave up and said, We're not even gonna try to score on this driver, it's gonna run it three times in a row and punt it back to you. Now maybe the and then after that, you know, he gets the ball back and leads a field goal drive. Like then he, you see him lead these two touchdown drives late in the game, like maybe they'll start to say, hey, we can throw the ball with a minute 50 to go in a half instead of running it three times in a row. But we've talked a bit about how improbable this Titans win was. I want to go through some numbers that really highlight how improbable this was. If I told you all the things I'm about to tell you before the game and asked you to predict the score, there's no way you would say the Titans come within 20 points of the Dolphins. So let me go through it really quick. The Titans were 5 of 13 on third down. Not great. They averaged... uh, they, they averaged 2.9 yards per carry in this game and had only 83 total rushing yards. The Dolphins averaged 5.1 yards per carry and had 158 rushing yards. The Titans committed nine penalties to the Dolphins' seven penalties. The Titans committed three turnovers to the Dolphins' one turnover. The Dolphins scored a defensive touchdown. The Titans did not. The Dolphins started two other drives at the seven-yard line and the 12-yard line. They outpossessed the Titans 32 minutes to 27 minutes, and yet... Despite all of those things, the Titans are able to win this game by one point. The way Mike Vrabel likes to win, outrun your opponent, win the turnover battle, 
outpossess them to keep the other team's offense off the field. They didn't do any of those things in this game. And they still come away with the one-point win. Why? Because your quarterback is someone who can actually put the team on his back at the end of the game and drive down the field and get those crucial touchdowns to win it. They haven't had somebody like that. And we, you know, we spend a lot of the offseason comparing Will Levis to Josh Allen. I think we saw a lot of that in this game tonight. The way he used his legs, the way he threw his body into the defenders when he was using his legs, the way he created uh, out of structure on that DeAndre Hopkins touchdown, scrambling to his left, scrambling back to his right, looking to his right, throwing over the middle with the no-look touchdown pass to DeAndre Hopkins, slinging the ball down the field, lasering it into tight windows. That one throw to DeAndre Hopkins that was it between three defenders was an incredible throw. This guy looks like the real deal future of this team. And I'm just so excited. Like we've, we talked about it before, but I don't even care about the draft position element of it. And I was tweeting before the game keys for the Titans tonight. <laughs> Number one, lose. Number two, Giants win. Like I was all in on the draft position thing, but seeing this team play, it just changes how you feel about them. Because how, like you said before, if you can't get excited about this, you just don't love football. So this the most improbable Titans win that I can ever remember watching as a fan. Certainly was. I mean, I think you, you said it and you added context, but I'm going to add further context to those three turnovers, right? Like, could they have been any worse? Almost <laughs> no, right? Like, unless all three of them were pick sixes, like you get a pick six, you get a muffed punt on the five yard line. And you get a muffed handoff pitch, whatever you want to call it, on the 10-yard line. Like, all of them led to, what, like 21 Dolphins points, essentially? Like, yep. it does not get worse. It essentially was three pick sixes, right? Like, it does not get worse <laughs> than that when it comes to turn on, turning over the football. I don't know how you survive. I don't know how a bad 4-8 and eight Titans team survives that against an 8-3, and 9-3 and three Dolphins team. Uh, but now we, you said it. It's because the quarterback put the team on his back when it mattered most, played like a franchise-altering franchise, franchise altering quarterback. And, uh, and of course, though, in saying that, I paused there because hats off to the defense too, right? Coming up with those yeah. timely stops when necessary. I thought Harold Landry was outstanding in this game. He continues to put the torn ACL injury behind him every single week. I thought Arden Key was pretty good in this game. I thought, uh, you know what was one of the most underrated plays of the game? And I was about to say his name. Before I said it, I wanted to uh, bring up the play because it was a good opportunity. When the Dolphins get that ball back with a minute 43 left, plenty of time for their offense to go down the field, get in field goal range, and win this game. They're facing a third and two from, what, the 40-ish yard line, their own 40-ish. They're yeah. getting there, okay? I, let, I don't mind the play call. They essentially motion Devon A-Chain out of the backfield there and they throw a swing pass to him they get their speedster one of the fastest players in the nfl in space on third and two and what does he do he does exactly what that play is designed to make him do he makes elijah molden miss on the initial tackle attempt right at that point pause your pause your tv go back i did it this morning there's no doubt in my mind he's getting the first down that's third and two he makes the first tackler miss well, what happens? Elijah Molden quickly gets up and rallies, but so does Dina Coatri, a 300-pound D lineman, rallies to the sideline there. And credit Molden, too. I don't know how the hell he got back in that play after missing that tackle. And essentially together, I think I probably give more of the credit to Autry, but together they essentially get him out of bounds for, what, a gain of one or a gain of zero? I think it was a gain of one. I think it was third and three, maybe. 
and they bring up the yeah. fourth and two, and Harold Landry finishes. Does a great job sort of, I don't want to say playing spy because he's rushing the quarterback, but you see when Harold Landry releases there, he sees that. He gets his hands up. He sees that too. is thinking about running. He stays disciplined, stays in his lane, a, a little bit fortunate to a stumbles there and immediately brings him down an incredible defensive series there, back-to-back plays on third and fourth. Third down. And yeah, absolutely. Down. And while you're talking about Danico Autry, this is the guy who blocked the field goal for the Titans. Without that, they don't win this game either. So d- huge shout out to Danico Autry. And yes, Harold Landry, you mentioned that that sack on fourth down was his third of the game. He had five QB hits in this game. Him and Danico Autry made you forget that Jeffrey Simmons wasn't on the field. Yeah. Kyle Pico was making plays in the middle tier. Tart was abusing dudes and getting in the backfield. And I don't know if he actually did anything with those. He only had one tackle, but he was getting in the backfield and just causing disruption. Jaleel Johnson with a huge heads up play after Tua fumbles the ball at the goal line. Jaleel, he, Tua picks up the ball and is looking to make something happen with it. Jaleel Johnson gets in the backfield immediately and knocks the ball out of Tua's hands again. So he basically he basically had two fumbles on one play there, and TK McClendon Jr. jumps on it. He got backups on the defensive line, making these huge plays for a team that's missing their best defensive lineman. I mean, that's a huge performance from this defense. That reminds me, something I want to say about that. Um, so look at the miscast of defensive linemen they went into this game with, okay? Kyle Pico, who was not on the initial 53-man roster. You may already forget, they cut him. Um, when they went from 90 to 53 and brought him back to the practice squad. Um, It looks like he may have suffered a season-ending injury in this game, unfortunately, according to Paul Kuharski. But look who they went into this game with. Um, Kyle Pico, who was not on the initial 90-man roster. Or sorry, 53-man roster, of course. Jaleel Johnson, who was not on the initial 53-man roster. Okay, Uh, Marlon Davidson, who was, I believe, playing in his first game as a Tennessee Titan, right? Uh, After being uh, added to the practice squad a couple weeks ago. They elevated Jojo Doman, uh, a journeyman, uh, to the roster on this game. Exactly. Never Who, heard of him. You didn't even know that probably, right? Uh, I remember, him I, I I remember from scouting looking at, him during his pre I, I know year. it from, from looking at the box score and seeing that he had a tackle and thinking, this guy's on the team I root for? I've never even heard of him. Yeah, I remember him. I can't, where did he play now? He's going to drive me. Nebraska? Look it up while I'm thinking. It might have been Nebraska. Um, Nebraska. Nebraska, right? Yeah, I remember scouting him. And then also, uh, I was, you made me lose my train of thought. Oh, and a recovered fumble by T.K. McClendon Jr., another guy that, of course, was not on the initial 53-man roster coming on to this year, was on the practice squad essentially the whole year. Used to play, I, I want to say, played on the offensive side of the ball in college, eventually switched positions in his final year, final two years of college ball. And, um, and, and he recovers the fumble, right? And they've been, they rewarded him a few weeks ago, bringing him up to the 53 because of how he was developing on the practice squad. So to, again, to sort of summarize, right? Kyle Pico, Jaleel Johnson, Marlon Davidson, TK McClendon Jr. I, I, you could include Jojo Dome in there, but those other ones actually made big plays in this game, I think was the point I was going for. None of them on the initial 53-man roster in September. No Jeffrey Simmons in this game, like you said. Yes, you got contributions from your horses, right? The guys you need, the Dina Coatries, the Tier Tarts, the Arden Keys, the Harold Landrys. But it's very much of a, like a Mike Vrabel-like team, I think, to get these contributions from some of these other unheralded D-line. Absolutely, it is. And shout out to the secondary, too, because they went into this game missing Christian Fulton, who, you know, hasn't been particularly great this season, but he's better than Trey Avery and Eric Garor at, in the back end there. And and um, 
Amani Hooker was outstanding in this game. He opens the game with a huge hit oh, on so Jalen Waddle. Uh, coming down, crashing over the middle. Totally legal hit, nothing dirty about it. Waddle had to sit on the sidelines for a few plays afterwards, though. And then he's he's making plays on the ball across the field. He, he overall had a great game. But I want to shout out the secondary as a whole because one of the things that has made this Dolphins offense work so well this year is Tua getting the ball out of his hands so quickly before the defense has a chance to to react, before the pass rush can get to him, getting it to his first read immediately, all the little swing passes that Mike McDaniel has built into this offense, all the motions, pre-snap motions that go back and forth and cause linebackers to get out of their rush lanes and, and everything else that this offense can do. Well, the Titans forced Tua to hold the ball the longest he's had to hold it this entire season, his average time to throw in this game, 2.72 seconds, the longest average time to throw that Tua has had this entire season. So shout out to the secondary, taking away Tua's first read and forcing him to hold the ball longer than he likes to. That's one of the things that he does really well is get the ball out quickly. But when he doesn't, when he has to make something happen, it's a lot more difficult. And he made a couple of nice plays, you know, getting the ball out, flip like avoiding pressure and flipping the ball to his fullback on that one play where he hurdled. Um, he hurdled somebody. Oh, Roger McCreary, he hurdled on that play. But there, there was a few good plays that Tua made there. But overall, forcing him to hold the ball like that, they sacked Tua five times in this game. And one of those, he kind of slipped and fell down. And one of those was the fumbled um, snap that he then picked up. And then when he got stripped again, Jaleel Johnson, you get credit with a strip sack fumble. Uh, when the when you strip the, sorry when you strip the ball there you get credit with a strip sack so there's also a sack included there even though it was sort of not really necessarily a sack but the point is they they sack two of five times because the secondary is out there forcing him to hold the ball longer than he's had to hold it this whole time playing with backups playing with Trey Avery and Eric Garor Eric Garor matched up one on one with Tyreek Hill in the red zone and has great coverage on the play as my dog sticks his head out of my sweatshirt hello Bean. Uh, <laughs> He blends in with my sweatshirt because he's Texas colors, so you can barely see him. Um, but really great performance by the secondary here against a team that has a ton of weapons. And yeah, Tyreek Hill got knocked out early in the game, played you know sparingly on th- big third downs and other big plays. He made a couple really nice catches down the field, you know, getting open against the zone coverage and making plays. So it's not like they were totally without Tyreek Hill. Obviously, you do have to put that you know that context there that Tyreek Hill missed a lot of this game with with some sort of ankle injury and that Cedric Wilson was out there burning Sean Murphy bunting on a couple of plays in this game. But overall, hats off to the secondary for an awesome performance in this one. Yeah, and in all honesty, I, I think I'd be fairly concerned if I was the Dolphins and I, I, I'm that reliant on one player uh, on, on the yeah. offensive skill positions against a team like the Titans. All of a sudden, I feel like I can't do anything. I mean, they didn't do anything in this game that the Titans didn't hand to them. Right, just a matter of fact, the offense did not do a damn right. thing that wasn't given to them. They didn't go out and take anything; it was completely handed to them, and that's on the Titans. And those errors uh, got to get corrected. You want to talk about Mike Vrabel's uh, uh, aggression, absolutely b- borderline personality disorder, whatever it's called, because it's always hard <laughs> to figure out. But uh, you want to talk about that aggression? So let's talk about the fact that most people in the Titans community believe that Mike Vrabel doesn't really buy into analytics; that he just kind of does things based on feel that he is not an aggressive coach, that he's too conservative, that he doesn't want to score points. He just wants to win games by scoring 20 points or less. None of these things are true. Can we just point that out right off the bat? None of these things are true. And nothing exemplified that more than his decision to go for two after you score the first touchdown. You're down by, 
you're down by eight points still. You can kick the extra point and make it a seven-point game. Give yourself a chance to tie it and go to overtime with an, with one more unlikely touchdown because you still got to get a stop, get the ball back, and then drive all the way down the field and score again. But the analytics say, don't go for the tie. Play for the win. Yeah, you might end up losing, but if you tie the game and go to overtime, you might end up losing in overtime too. So take your best shot at going for the win. You got two chances to convert a two-point conversion here. You you miss the first one, you still got a chance to tie the game by converting a second two-point conversion on your next touchdown if you even get that far. But you convert the first two-point conversion and you have a chance to go win the game with a touchdown as opposed to just tying it and sending it to overtime. That is an analytics-driven decision. That is not a gut feel. That's not a let's go for it on fourth down, let's punt it on fourth down now because I just feel like doing whatever I feel like doing. That is pure analytics say your best chance to win the game is to go for two on that first touchdown when you're down by two scores. And the tight he does it and the Titans pull off the win. Obviously, it goes without saying, they likely don't win this game. I mean, maybe they win in overtime, but they likely don't win this game. They certainly don't win it in regulation without that aggressive decision by Mike Vrabel to go for the win. And I love it because he's in a situation where he really has nothing to lose. You're 4-8. and eight. You're on the outside looking into the playoff picture. You're on the road against a team that has been better than you for the majority of the season. Why not? Go for it. Be aggressive. Your offense is humming. You just drove all the way down the field and you got a chance now to try to get the, the, the put yourself in a position to actually win this game. I love the aggressiveness. I love the decision. And it, I just can't emphasize enough that that is an analytics driven move. And everyone wants to say Mike Vrabel doesn't listen to analytics. Well, guess what? He clearly does because he doesn't go for two there if he's not looking into the analytics side of things. 100%. 100%. And it was the right decision. It was a bold decision, but it was the right decision. I will say, you talked about some of the decisions earlier. I actually agreed with how they handled that possession but before, like near the end of the second quarter on the punt. I'm not surprised they were just trying to get it to halftime, especially after they got the second, uh, the penalty that made it. After you get the 20, penalty, it was. yeah, you put yourself behind the sticks that much with the penalty, then I get running it back to back times there. I don't like running it on first down and then running it again on second down and putting yourself in position to have a holding penalty on the run play. Of course, you could have a holding penalty on a pass play or a false start by Dylan Ray. Like, sure, there's a million things that could. You'd almost certainly get a false start by Dylan Ray on that one. So I mean, definitely something could happen, but I just want, like, more than anything, I want Will Levis to get these two-minute drive experiences. Like, again, you're 4-8, and you got nothing to lose. Like, let Will Levis try to lead a two-minute drive here because he's going to need to have the experience of leading a two-minute drive. Wow. And then, obviously, you don't know how the end of the game is going to go. Like, you don't know that he's going to get two more chances to go lead two-minute drives that, that when you are in a gotta-have-it situation. So, obviously, you don't know that that's coming, which is why I'm saying give him the chance at the end of the half. You don't know you're going to get the ball back and have another chance at the end of the half. So, when you get it... Give it to him. And like they're lucky that the game played out the rest of the way it did. And Will Levis got three more two-minute offense drives. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I get what you're saying. But I just, like, I hate the conservative approach of, I don't know what they're thinking. Like, oh, we're going to catch him off guard by handing it off to Derrick Henry, who's on the field in the backfield. Anytime Derrick Henry's on the field, the other team is going to expect run. Like, <laughs> what are we doing out here? I um, Let's end it on this note. Um, I, I don't want this to sound cheesy or corny, but... When you read all of the stats, right? When you talked about the first time this century, first quarterback, 300 yards, zero and 767, uh, 0.3.83% according to a very good next-gen stats model. When you think of all those things, 
I think it's hard not to consider this somewhat of a miracle victory, right? And how fitting is it that that happens just days after the passing of Frank Wycheck, who, in my opinion, um, is the hero of the Music City miracle, right? I mean, of course, you know, it's like it's like the selfless offensive line position, right? You're always going to give the love and the credit to the guy that went streaking down the sideline 75 yards, and he deserves it too, absolutely. But I've always focused on the guy that threw that ball on that play. That's a perfect legal lateral pass. I don't care what anyone says. Absolutely. A perfect legal, 100% a legal lateral. I think the NFL Network a couple of years ago, they like hired someone, the mathematician, whatever, blah, 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 expert to like measure down to the legal, legal backward lateral. Um, how fitting is it that this miracle, and again, I don't want to sound cheesy and I hope I don't, but it was a miracle victory when you really think of all those things. And that's the beauty of sport, right? How fitting is it that that happens just days after Frank Wycheck's tragic, uh, you know, passing a, a life cut way too short, an absolute legend. I mean, I, I, I seen someone say it on Twitter. I can't remember who it was now. It wasn't a Titans guy. Um, really one of the first tight ends in like a, that, that made a vertical made an impact as a vertical pass catcher, right. In a vertical passing game. I mean, he had several years of 70 catches, 69, 70 catches, led the team in receiving yards, led the team in touchdowns a couple of times, like really one of the first of his era um, to sort of help revolutionize the tight end position and make it what it is today. I'm young. I'm, I'd like to think I'm not young. I'd like to think I'm young. And I still, I've got memories of, of being a young child, finding my love for this team, for this franchise, and watching the impact that Frank Wycheck made on Sundays. Uh, as I've gotten older and you learn more about those teams, things you didn't comprehend as much maybe as, as a kid, uh, you realize how selfless of a team first player he was. And uh, it was just, uh, you know, condolences to him, to his family and friends. Tragic, tragic passing. Fans everywhere who are mourning his loss. Um, what, what a, what a performance in the wake of that. And it, it really felt uh, as timely as can be. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Rest in peace to the legendary Frank Wycheck. I do think that's a good place to wrap up this podcast. I did want to talk about the draft order, so I'll just quickly mention the Titans have fallen to ninth. We did mention that off the top. And look, the other teams that the Titans are tied with for five and eight, there's one, two, three, four, five other five and eight teams in the league right now. Look, you never know what's going to happen here. Titans may be in ninth right now. They could they could still move up as high as fifth or fourth in this draft order. Chicago, did anyone expect them to beat the Lions this past weekend? Probably not. They did it. Did anyone expect the Giants to beat the Packers this past weekend? Probably not. They did it. The Jets beat the Texans. Did anyone expect Zach Wilson to come back and throw for 300 yards and put up a 30-point half? Probably not. So I'm just saying like there is there is a, a way for some of these other teams, the Commanders, the Bears, the Raiders, the Jets, and the Giants are the five teams ahead of the Titans right now in the draft order. There is a way for those some of those teams to get to six wins if the Titans do end up losing out. They also have the Chargers at five and eight, Justin Herbert out for the year with the finger injury. So would be surprised if Easton Stick leads that team to any more victories. But well, they got the uh, Raiders the Titans... on Thursday and Aiden O'Connell. So that's probably going to be a close game. So we'll see. That's true. So one of those two teams is getting a sixth win. Either yeah. the Raiders or the Chargers is getting a sixth win because they play each other on Thursday night this week. So there, there is definitely a chance here for the Titans to continue moving up. As I mentioned at the top of the show, they could be in position for a top five pick. Or if they win out, they could be in position to make the playoffs. So um, I think at this point, I am rooting for the win out scenario because why wouldn't you um, fully acknowledging that they may end up with a worse player, but also the draft is a crapshoot. At the end of the day, 
just because Joe Alt and Olaf Ashanu are like the two can't miss tackles at the top of the class, it doesn't mean anything about like it doesn't mean they're going to be the two best tackles in the class when, you know, four years from now when we're evaluating the 2024 NFL draft classes like there's no way to know who's actually going to end up good. Did anyone think Jalen Duncan would be a six round pick and come in and start games and give them quality play at left tackle this season? Like probably not. Right. So I think that, you know, Jalen Duncan wasn't even was like a first round pick this time last year at this point in the year. So there's a lot that's going to happen between now and April anyway. I think go for the wins and see if this team can make something happen because after, you know, you get fueled by a win like last night, this team hits the the practice field on Monday, the meetings on Monday, the practice field on Wednesday with a new energy. Like we just beat one of the best teams in the AFC. We can do this. And I think I'm going to root for it to happen until they lose to Davis Mills on Sunday. <laughs> uh, I'll say this about the draft position. We'll get out of here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it right now. If you think the sky is falling, you're still in like Malik Neighbors, J.C. Latham, uh, Roma Dunze, Ter- Brock Bowers. Like you're still in the territory of a really, really good offensive player. This is one of the best offensive tackle classes I've ever scouted. Yes, ideally you get yours in the first round, but th- I actually think there are going to be some really good tackles taken in the second round, and that's really abnormal. And the only reason that's going to happen, good offensive tackles don't make it to the second round. They do when there's like 12 of them, right? Like this is such Hmm. an unbelievably good offensive tackle class. And of course, not all of them are going to turn out good, but some of them that get drafted a little later than others are going to turn out really good. So you're still going to have an opportunity at getting uh, two really good players, including a second round pick that's probably top 40 as of now. So uh, JC, JC Latham's incredible, incredible right tackle prospect at Alabama. Uh, Brock Bowers, difference making tight end. Malik Neighbors would be wide receiver one in most classes if there wasn't a generational receiver. And I really like the Washington receiver I mentioned a minute ago as well. So lots of good players are still would still be there at number nine. Two or at least two of those four that I just mentioned would be there. But no point focusing on nine. It's probably not where they're going to end up. We'll monitor this weekly as it changes and uh, keep reporting back to you. Yeah, exactly. So make sure you are following Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room because we'll be tweeting about all this stuff too. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel, the Music City Audible Podcast. We appreciate all of our YouTube viewers more than we appreciate our audio listeners. Sorry, podcast listeners. We do appreciate you, just not as much. Um, So subscribe to the channel. Drop a comment below. What was your reaction to the Titans pulling off this miracle win? Were you upset because of the draft order thing? Or are you just so excited about the future with Will Levis at quarterback? Let us know in the comments below. Thanks to everyone for watching all the way through. We appreciate you. We will be back. And until then, you all stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.